And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order, you know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, we'll trail the elusive Captain Nemo on 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea on Family Theater, hosted by Maureen O'Sullivan from 1950. Then Gracie has a crush on Charles Boyer when he makes a guest appearance on the Burns and Allen Show from 1943. With me to help present these radio classics is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? What's up, Carl? Well, I know that you like sci-fi. You're a big sci-fi person, right? No, not really, but, well, I'm just <laughs> but I can be. trying to embellish it a little bit. I can be. Yeah, I'm well, to it. you're going to like this uh, because we're going <laughs> to listen to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, good sci-fi adventure. It does sound good. On Family Theater. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Family Theater. It was a family drama that came to radio in 1947, lasted all the way to 1957, produced by Family Theater Productions, a film and radio studio extension of the Family Rosary Crusade founded by the Holy Cross priest Father Patrick Payton as a way to promote family prayer. His motto, the family that prays together stays together, is still known today. Top stars appeared on Family Theater, including James Stewart, Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, Jack Benny, Lucille Ball, and many, many more. We have a great episode of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, starring Otto Kruger with Maureen O'Sullivan as host. Let's go back to August 23rd, 1950 now for part one of Family Theater. Family Theater presents Maureen O'Sullivan and Otto Kruger. From Hollywood, the Mutual Network, in cooperation with Family Theater, presents Otto Kruger in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. To introduce the drama, your hostess, Maureen O'Sullivan. Thank you, Tony Lafrano. Family Theater's only purpose is to bring to everyone's attention a practice that must become an important part of our lives if we're to win peace for ourselves peace for our families, and peace for the world. Family theater urges you to pray. Pray together as a family. Years before their appearance, Jules Verne foretold the submarine, the navigable balloon, the airplane, the telephone, the long-range projectile, and many other inventions. But perhaps his greatest writing achievement was the complex character of Captain Nemo, tragic star of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. In this man, we glimpse Homer's Ulysses, Shakespeare's Hamlet, and ourselves. Our dreams, our disillusionments, our instinctive yearning for good. These are the things that make Captain Nemo and his great adventure timeless. And so it is with pride and pleasure that Family Theater presents Otto Kruger in Jules Verne's beloved classic, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. The earth does not need new continents. It needs new men. 
My name is Pierre Arnaud. I am assistant professor in the Museum of Natural History in Paris. And the year is 1866. Delving into the unknown as I do, there is little surprises me. And yet today in this modern life, unbelievable newspaper headlines shock the world. Extra, extra, steamer attacked by sea serpents. We know all about it. Extra. Another ship attacked. Navy the hot sea monster. Extra, extra, expedition forming. I, I was in my New York apartment at the conclusion of my most recent scientific tour and had planned to return to Paris with my valuable collection of specimens when... Uh, Professor Aronach. Uh, yes, Consul, what is it? Commander Farragut of the United States Navy to see you, sir. Commander Farragut? Well, show him in, lad. Show him in. Yes, sir, immediately. Farragut, Farragut coming to see me. What on earth for? Unless it's about the... Uh, no, no, no. This is indeed a great oh, pleasure. Believe me, Commander Farragut, the feeling is mutual. In fact, I am somewhat overcome uh, to have a man of your reputation seek out an obscure professor. Quite the contrary, sir. Your knowledge and research of undersea life is highly respected. My government would like to see France represented in the expedition in pursuit of the sea monster. Oh, merci. I'm holding a cabin at your disposal on the President Lincoln, sir. We leave Brooklyn Pier in three hours. Pursuit of the sea monster? What an opportunity. Well, to catch the sea monster, just, just think what an addition he would be to my collection. <laughs> You have a fine ship, Commander. Yes, sir. She's a frigate of great speed. We're well armed, too. Professor, we have everything. From the hand harpoon to the barbed barrels to the blunderbuss. And an explosive shells and the big gag gun. I didn't. Didn't I see a breech-loading cannon atop your forecastle? You did, sir. But my best weapon of all, Professor, is Ned Lamb. Eh? Well, oh, Ned. Come over here, if you please. Aye, aye, sir. Aye, aye, Commander Farragut. At your service, sir. Professor, I don't know. Ned is known all over the seven seas as the Prince of Harpooners. If and when we pack down the sea monster, he'll show you some real action. Well, it should prove a real test to your talents, Mr. Lamb. It's a fabulous beast indeed that can stove in the side of a ship. You're speaking of the Scotia, I take it, sir? Yes. Well, begging your pardon, Professor, but I don't hold much with this sea monster story. Huh? Oh, he's a big one, no doubt, but I've never yet seen any fish in the sea that could bash in a ship's plates. Well, something did it. The Scotia had a gaping hole in our side to prove it. Aye, sir. Something did it right enough. That's why I signed on the President Lincoln, Professor Arnaud. If there should be a sea monster that big and <laughs> that mighty, then Ned Land wants to be the man to harpoon it. That's the way our voyage began. A strong ship, hand-picked men, and a vast curiosity and determination to end this terror of the seas. And weeks passed... But the long days and nights of tension were beginning to tell. And then, just as it seemed human endurance could stand no more... Ahoy there! The very thing you were looking for on our weather beam! The sea monster! It is less than two cable lengths away now. My harpoon! Let me get to my post! Good, Good heavens, your monster is staring straight for us! Up with the helm! Reverse the engine! 
We are moving away from the scene now. Look, look. The monster's catching up with us again. You can't harpoon it, sir. The monster's running circles around us. We can't get near enough for me to use my harpoon. Right the helm. Ahead as you are. No, 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 no. It's no use, Commander. The monster is going to strike as fast as you're going twice as fast as we are. I know it, sir. There's only one thing we can do. Stand and fight. Up the focus of cannon, man. <laughs> Foxen's gun was loaded and slowed into position. The Lincoln was running at half speed now, and the sea monster seemed content to follow at a certain distance, as though it were mocking us. And the gunner, steady of eye, grave of face, took long and careful aim, and then fire! Why, this shot bounced off him like a rubber ball. Watch out, sir! The monster's closing in on us. That shot made him mad. He's going to get us this time, sure. Help! Help! You're all right now, Professor. I don't know. Though I must say I pulled you out of the sea just in time. Oh, but... But where... Where are we? Aboard the sea monster, sir. What? I... No wonder the Lincoln shell bounced off the thing. It's made of sheet iron. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. There was nowhere else to go, sir. The frigate's radar was smashed in the attack. She drifted out of sight. But what? What if this monster sinks? Then we'll all be at sea again, sir. Look, sir. Men, coming out of the monster. They're coming towards us. They're going to attack. I'll protect you, sir. Oh! Oh, I trust that the state of your health is improving, Professor Arena. Eh? Where, where am I? Uh, aboard my submarine, the Nautilus. Submarine? Uh, who are you? You may address me as Captain Nemo, Mr. Land. Captain? Submarine? Uh, then you were... Uh... I am your sea monster, O Prince of Harpooners. Why, you... Ned, let us learn more about our uh, predicament from Captain Nemo. You are prisoners of war. By rights, I should place you back on deck and submerge, forgetting your existence. You, you wouldn't dare. That, that wouldn't be civilized. I'm not what you so glibly call a civilized man, Professor Arena. For reasons of my own, I have broken all ties that bound me to humankind, and I'm not subject to its laws. Civilized. Well, then, then what is to be our fate, Captain Nemo? Well, I have been considering it at great length, Professor. I am not altogether heartless. I do have a certain sense of pity for any living thing. Therefore, since fate cast you aboard my ship, you may remain here. But of course, you must live under my law. Give your word to cause no trouble or try to escape. Stay with you? For how long? For the rest of your life, Mr. Land. Do you know what you ask, Captain? We are never to see our country again? Our friends? Our families? Professor, you still seem to forget that I could plunge you into the depths of the sea at a word. You have discovered the secret of my whole existence. Do you think I would free you to tell everything you have seen and heard? No, Professor Arena. By retaining you, it is not you I guard, but myself. Well, you are, you are simply offering us a chance between life and death. Just that. But without freedom. There is always a price, sir. Be glad that yours is no higher. Well, Ned and Conceal were taken to their permanent quarters. 
where I was escorted to a luxurious suite adjoining the quarters of Captain Nemo himself. And the next day, as I stared about me in amazement, I heard the strains of a pipe organ in the next room. And venturing in, I found myself in a magnificent drawing room and the captain at the keyboard of the organ. Good morning, Professor Arena. You seem somewhat surprised to learn that I practice the arts as well as the sciences. And I, I must confess, Captain Nemo, I scarcely expected to find a, you a musician of inspired music. Inspired? Well, I... No, what, what, what I mean... I understand well it, enough uh, what you meant, Professor. And I admire your honesty under the circumstances. <laughs> you know, I, I like you, Professor Arena. I like courage in a quiet man. Native prize. <laughs> you have no answer for this turn of events. I, I must admit, I, I do not know what to say. Then say nothing, but watch instead. I have another wonder to show you. I go over here to press a lever. Great heaven! The old side of the submarine is sliding back. We are doomed! <laughs> do not fear, sir. We are protected from the sea by several layers of heavy glass. Behold the army of the sea, Professor. The fish seem to float in liquid light, do they not? Unbelievable. Yes, but true. The banded mullet, the Japanese scumbrous, the beautiful mackerel. All these are my pleasure and my game, sir. I hunt them in an element inaccessible to any other man. You, you hunt underwater? Yes, I delight in quarrying the game that lurks in my submarine forests. I am immensely wealthy, Professor. I am owner of a property beyond the power of computation. I cultivate it myself. But it is always sown by the hand of him who created all living things. Him? Then, then, then you... Believe in God? Look out there, my dear Professor. In the face of such wonders, how could I possibly not believe in such a deity? But I do not understand. You gave up the world... Merely because I forsook man does not mean I forsook God. But with your philosophy, how, how can you forget man? Why? Why? It is mankind which is forgotten, not I. They have forgotten a God by making unjust laws, tearing one another to pieces, destroying. That is why I seek freedom in the depths of the ocean. Here the reign of man ceases. His power, his influence drowns in leagues of living water. Here alone is independence. Peace. Professor, you and your friend shall accompany me on my next hunting expedition. Meantime, feel free to use whatever facilities you desire aboard the Nautilus. I was soon lost in the wonders of Captain Nemo's amazing undersea collection, his library, and of course the wonder of the submarine itself. And then, one morning, we were summoned to a small cell just off the machinery room where we found Captain Nemo awaiting us. If you look kindly down these India rubber diving suits and weighted boots, we'll soon be off on a hunt. Hunt? In diving suits? Unless you prefer to walk on the bottom of the sea without one, Mr. Land. Bottom of the sea? We're hunting there? Exactly. If Captain Nemo has promised undreamed wonders, Ned. I can believe that, sir. We have now arrived at the forest of the lost island of Crespa, gentlemen. You have your suits on. Now, please put the helmets in place. Oh, what are we going to hunt with? Electrical glass bullets, Mr. Land. What? Fired by air guns. And for light, each one of you has two room cork burners. One light fastened on the back, one to the waist. This is all too much for me. Well, I for one am convinced, Ned. I'll follow Captain Nemo wherever he wishes, even to the bottom of the sea. 
Thank you, Professor Arena. <laughs> now, fasten your helmets, gentlemen, for I'm about to close the waterproof door. Huh? Yes. We were in utter darkness. The rocket troll apparatus began operating the moment our helmets were fixed firmly in place. And I breathed with ease. Now I was about to step into a completely new element. This sinister unknown, led by a man for all I knew, was mad. A second door, located in the outer shell of the Nautilus sleepback, in another moment, I was treading on the floor of the ocean. My dear friends, how can I describe the sight that met my eyes? A fantastic dream. No, no, more like, more like an emotion. Yes, that's it. I moved through unbelievable beauty, no longer feeling the drag of my clothing and weighted shoes. The water acted like a prism from the early morning sun, so that we walked in the radiance of the seven solar colors. And I could see the silver sand shimmering away to a distance of 150 yards, dotted with star shell, flowers, rocks, shells, and pulpy of every shade and formation. Oh, what if my colleagues could see me now? They wouldn't believe it. I don't like this. Walking on the bottom of the sea. Escape. I'm going to escape from that underwater tub the first chance I get. We're approaching the old Spanish galleon. <laughs> I can see the surprise in Professor Arena's eyes as we enter the wreck. Even Ned Land is interested as he glimpses golden pieces of eight scattered on the deck. But here, my friends, look. As I open this gigantic chest, they look gold, plenty of it. Sparkling, glinting in cold salt water. My eternal bank. I filled the small chest we brought along. So, sent it back to the Nautilus by one of my crew. And now, my dear professor, we'll go on to my pearl beds. Captain, all these riches we saw today, you can only use so much. What good is the rest? Unless you help your fellow man. Professor Arena, you are my guest, an onlooker. I do not desire your advice. Oh, but it seems such a waste, sir, with so much need in the world. Enough! Yes, there is need among the oppressed races, the exploited, the ravaged. I am and ever shall be one with such unfortunates. Captain, look out there. A diver. He's looking in at us. Oh, yes. When you're sure. Yes, I know, but, 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 but what, what does he want? You asked a question, Professor. You shall have your answer. Even as I watched, a crew member in a diving suit appeared outside the window, gave the native diver the small treasure chest taken from the Spanish galleon. The swimmer returned to the window, humbly saluted Captain Nemo, who returned the gesture. Then the diver darted upward with his treasure. And I turned and looked at Nemo. What more do you want of me, Professor Arima? A confession written in heart's blood. But though I hate the world, I love my fellow man. Well, I, I couldn't answer him. 
If ever I saw tragedy burned across a man's face, I saw it in Nemo's. I could now understand his bitter philosophy. His moods roaring with cut and cold, like destroying, searing winds. Well then, a week later, Ned, Conceal and I saw another side of Nemo's nature. He had sighted a mysterious man of war. We surfaced. The ship fired at us. Uh, well, they're firing at us, sir. Let me hit that periscope. Stand back, Mr. Land. Shit, I'm cursed nation. You recognize me, don't you? Fear me. And now, my vengeance. Torpedo one. No, Captain. They won't have a chance. Fire! The man of war seemed to disintegrate. Captain Nemo watched it sink, an archangel of hatred. And then he turned and entered his quarters. I followed him as though hypnotized. I saw him uncover a picture on the far wall. A portrait of a young woman and two beautiful children. Before this group, Nemo spread his arms and then... Almighty God. Enough. Enough. Let's break from family theater. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to Family Theater. After that catastrophic occurrence, the Nautilus moved in more and more of a dream world. I saw nothing of Captain Nemo or the crew, save the steward who served me. Everyone aboard seemed to be drugged in a state of complete apathy. And then, then Ned came to me with his plan. We're escaping tonight, Professor. Conceal and we have been working just towards such a time. We're off the coast of Norway. Escape? Well, are we in sight of land? Aye, sir. Just took the reckoning. There are hills 20 miles to the east of us. We'll take the small boat. I've stocked it with food and water. I've talked it over with Conceal. We'll meet at 10 tonight. Well, heaven knows I'm with you, Ned. Ever since seeing that ship go down. But the weather... How is it? Oh, the waves are bad, sir. Wind's blowing up a gale, but there's no problem. I feel safe once we're on the high seas, no matter what the weather. Well, very well. Lay your plans. I'll meet you at the appointed hour. As I waited, the events of my existence aboard the Nautilus passed before my mind's eye. And in my excitement, the growing tension, Captain Nemo seemed himself to grow immeasurably larger. No longer a man, but a creature of the waters. A keen eye of the sea, and then... Music. From the hands of a tormented soul longing to break its earthly bonds. Such music as could only come from Captain Nemo himself. And then, my heart froze with terror. He was in the drawing room. The very room I must cross in order to make my escape. And the hour was striking for my rendezvous with destiny. So I made my way to the drawing room. The room was in a greenish half-light. 
Nemo sat before the pipe organ, playing as though music were his last avenue of expression in escape. And I held my breath as I passed in back of him. I reached for the far door. And Captain Nemo arose. And like a ghost, he walked straight towards me. Stop, Paranoid! I slammed the heavy door and I ran to meet Ned. Professor. Professor. Yes, yes. Let us go. Aye, sir. We've uh, service to take on fresh air. They're right? coming after us. Quick. Up on deck, Professor. Come on. There we go. Good heavens, we're in a storm. Storm nothing. It's a maelstrom. Quick into the small boat. Those waves, look. Closing in on us from every corner of the horizon. All right. Hold fast now. I'm trying to take her off. <laughs> Now, the waves, we are caught in the maelstrom. We're going down. You are safe, Professor. Quite safe now. Who? Conceal? The same, sir. And here's Ned, too. He brought us to the maelstrom safely. We're in a fisherman's hut on the Lofoten Islands, Professor. Yes, but the maelstrom, the Nautilus... Yeah, she was caught fair in the middle of it and went down, sir. And that's no better than she deserved, if you ask me. Well... If anyone could survive in such a storm, Captain Nemo could. At least, I hope so. You hope so, sir? Yes, Ned. After traveling 20,000 leagues under the sea with Nemo, I hope he lives on to conquer his hatred of the world, forget vengeance in his love for the oppressed. As Ecclesiastes questioned 6,000 years ago, that which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find it out? Eh, I hope that Captain Nemo can find his answer. <laughs> Family Theater has brought you Otto Kruger in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea with High Aberback as Captain Nemo and with Maureen O'Sullivan as your hostess. Others in our cast were Jack Lloyd, Bill Conrad, Stephen Chase, and Leroy Leonard. This adaptation of Jules Verne's classic was written by Virginia M. Cook with music composed and conducted by Harry Zimmerman and was directed for Family Theater by J.F. Mansfield. This series of Family Theater broadcasts is made possible by the thousands of you who felt the need for this type of program, by the mutual network which has responded to this need, and by the hundreds of stars of stage, screen, and radio who have so unselfishly given of their time and talent to appear on our Family Theater stage. To them and to you, our humble thanks. This is Tony Lofrano expressing the wish of Family Theater that the blessing of God may be upon you and your home and inviting you to join us next week at the same time when Family Theater will present Wayne Morris, Lloyd Nolan, and Betty Lynn in Brannigan's Bat. Join us, won't you? Family Theater is broadcast throughout the world and originates in the Hollywood studios of the world's largest network, the Mutual Broadcasting System. And that's Family Theater with 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, starring Otto Kruger, with host Maureen O'Sullivan, also in the cast, High Averback, William Conrad, and Jack Lloyd. 
That's from August 23rd, 1950. Hope you enjoyed that. Time now for the Burns and Allen Show. Special guest is Charles Boyer. Let's go back to November 30th, 1943. Part one now of the Burns and Allen Show. Well, hello. Come right in. Oh, George, we've got company. This is Bill Goodwin, speaking for Lever Brothers, makers of Swan, the new white floating soap that's pure as fine Castile. Well, it's Tuesday night again. Time for another pleasant visit with George Burns and Gracie Allen and their guest, the co-producer and star of Universal's picture, Flesh and Fantasy, Charles Boyer, with Jimmy Cash, Felix Mills, and his orchestra. And now, meet the people who live in the Burns house, George and Gracie. Well, tonight we find George and Gracie just leaving their neighborhood movie, where they've been watching a romantic Charles Boyer picture. Gracie is still under the spell of her screen idol. Gracie, could you walk a little faster? Hmm? I said, could you walk a little faster? If you wish, Charles. Gracie, I'm George Burns, your husband, remember? I'm not Charles Boyer. Oh. Well, that's life. Come on, I want to stop in the cigar store. Oh, my, I'll never get over the way Charles Boyer kissed Barbara Stanwyck. I wonder how it feels to be kissed like that. As soon as we get home, I'll show you. (laughs) Mama's little dreamer. (laughs) Well, never mind. Here's the cigar stall. Well, good evening, Mr. Byrne. Good evening, Stanley. Give me three Perfecto Royales, please. Yes, sir. Why, hello, Mrs. Burns. Hello, Stanley. My, my, you're looking positively radiant tonight. There's a sparkle in your eyes and a glow in your cheeks that only a man could put there. It was a man, Stanley. Well, well, there must be more to Mr. Burns than meets the eye. (laughs) We've just been to see Charles Boyer. Oh. Oh. Oh, well. Here are your cigars and your coupons. Thanks. (laughs) Gee, how do they do it? Three top-notch cigars for a nickel and coupons, too. Uh, how many coupons do you have now? 19,000. Gracious goodness. Yeah, only 6,000 more and I get a key ring. <laughs> oh, George, pay Stanley for these ten movie magazines, too. Ten movie magazines? Well, they all have articles about Charles Boyer. Look, Gracie, you can't... Greetings, Stanley. Tis I, Bolingbroke. Hello, cue ball. <laughs> well, hello, Mr. Bolingbroke. Why, bless me if it isn't the Burnsels. Both the lovely one and the other one. <laughs> well, well, this is a most fortuitous happenstance. It is? Yes. I have great news for you, dear lady. The Bolingbroke Little Theatre is about to open its winter theatrical season. I shall want you as my leading lady, naturally. Oh, naturally. Say, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get Charles Boyer for my leading man? Oh, sure, sure, sure. You could get him easy for around $25,000. Well, George, we wouldn't have to pay him a cent. He's free French. (laughs) Well, anyway, you're not going to get mixed up in that Bolingbroke's theater. All he wants is your money. Sir, you insult me. I would not touch one cent of her money. No? No. She can give it directly to my landlady. I thought so. Nothing doing. Get your movie magazines, Gracie. We're going home. Oh, and Stanley, uh, I'll take a copy of Cowboy Love Tales. 
Oh, uh, that is your favorite magazine, isn't it? Yes. What a coincidence. Uh, my opening play will be a dramatization of Cowboy Love Tales. Really? Yes. I can just picture your lovely wife in the role of Lucy and you as the half-breed, dirty fag. <laughs> does, uh, does the part of the hero, Oklahoma Tex, happen to be open? Why, certainly, dear friend. Of course, there is that little matter of... I, I... Money? Yes, yes. I... Well, here's, uh, here's five bucks. Oh, Cabbage from Mr. Morgenthau's Victory Garden. <laughs> well, Gracie, I'm going to be a leading man. You and I are going to be lovers in the old Bar X. I still wish it was a cast Bar X. <laughs> oh, come on home. Gracie, it's one o'clock in the morning. Put away those silly movie magazines and let's get some sleep. But, George, did you know that Charles Boyer was awfully bashful as a boy? Oh, turn out the light. It says here he didn't get his first kiss until he was 19, and even then he wasn't thrilled. <laughs> no, huh? No. Guess those French generals aren't very attractive. <laughs> turn out the light. The article I'm reading now is fascinating. Charles Boyer's Ten Rules for Being a Successful Lover. Turn out the light. That's the first rule. <laughs> Gracie, turn... Oh, go to sleep. Oh, nuts. Now there's someone at the door. Could it be Charles Boyer? Of course not. Oh, then you answer it. Oh, Ooh, boy, the floor's cold. Hiya, George. I saw the light on. Something wrong? Yeah, something's wrong. I want to sleep, and Gracie wants me to listen to Charles Boyer's advice on love. Oh. Well, let's face it, Daddy. You can use it. <laughs> now, look, funny man. No, I'm serious, George. You husbands get so you take your wives for granted. You forget the little niceties that mean so much to a woman. What do you mean? Well, take today, for example. Did you tell Gracie you loved her? Well, no. Well, did you tell her how pretty she is? No. Did you tell her swan is four soaps in one? Now, Bill. Well, that's music to a woman's ears, George. Here's a white floating soap that's tops for her bath or complexion, wonderful for bathing the baby, and perfect for dishes and light laundry. Four swell soaps in one. A great wartime buy. Bill, I'm in no mood to stand here in my bare feet at one o'clock in the morning and blow bubbles with you. <laughs> well, okay. I was just trying to help get Gracie to love you. Well, Gracie does love. Doesn't she? Well, there's one sure way to find out. Oh. First, you fill the sink with dirty dishes. <laughs> dishes? Yes, yeah, sure. Now, you stand beside the sink and tell Gracie she can have her choice. She can either wash the dishes with Swan or kiss you. Now, Bill, and if she takes you, brother, that's love. <laughs> Good night, Bill. George, that's a real test. Gracie knows those long-lasting swan suds help make washing dishes a cinch. Bill, have you ever been kicked with a barefoot? And, and she knows swan is so mild and gentle you don't have to worry about rough dishpanny hands. I have very sharp toenails. Uh, <laughs> Good night, George. Good night. Oh, Good night. Bill, Bill, it's you. Oh, hello, Gracie. Oh, listen, listen to what I just read about Charles Boyer. It seems that years ago in France, a man named Pierre Dumont befriended him. Good night. I'm going to bed. Yeah, good night, Pierre. Good night. Good night. Well, this Dumont has a daughter named Marie who lives in America now, and Mr. Boyer has been looking for Marie so he can repay his debt to her father. Marie? Say, I'm engaged to a girl named Marie. I is her last name Dumont? Well, I didn't catch her last name. <laughs> oh, gee, I wish I were Marie Dumont. Then Charles Boyer would be glad to play my leading man. 
Hey, why wouldn't I be Marie Dumont? Oh, Gracie, you wouldn't. Oh, wouldn't I? Oh, I, I wonder what time Frenchmen get up in the morning. <laughs> Yes? Oh, uh, good morning, Mr. Boyer. Is there something you wish? Uh, pardon me? Is there something you wish? Oh, but, but don't you recognize me, Mr. Boyer? No, I'm sorry. Oh, I- I'm little Marie. You know, Marie Dumont. No! Yes! <laughs> <laughs> you are actually the daughter of my dear old friend... Oh, Monsieur Merveilleux, entrez dans ma petite Marie. Je vais presque abandonner l'espoir de vous retrouver. Vous voilà, Monsieur Magnifique. Somehow I knew you'd say that. <laughs> Asseyez-vous, mon petit. Racontez-moi. Il y a longtemps que vous êtes en Amérique. Qu'est-ce que vous faites? Où habitez-vous? Well, uh, yes and no. <laughs> Why don't you speak to me in French, Marie? Oh, well, I've gotten in the habit of speaking American. You know, this country is full of Americans. <laughs> <laughs> ah, still the same, Marie. As a girl, you always made a little joke. I, I did? Yes, you told terrible fibs. Oh, I guess I haven't changed a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were quite small when I saw you last. But I seem to remember that your hair was black. Well, they have beauty shops in America. Oh, <laughs> and I thought your nose was longer. They have plastic surgeons, too. Oh, and instead of blue, I thought your eyes were brown. Wonderful country, isn't it? <laughs> Perhaps my memory fails me. It's been so many years since I held you on my lap. You you used to hold me on your lap? But of course. Don't you remember? No, darn it. <laughs> well, now I want to hear all about your dear Papa. How does he look? Uh, papa? Well, let's see. How long since you've seen him? Oh, 15 years. Well, he looks 15 years older. Oh, he's tracing, but it could happen to anyone. Mm, poor Papa. He's gotten very gray. Gray? Well, that's strange. 15 years ago, he was completely bald. Well, so much for Papa. But how could a bald man become gray? Oh, you're talking about his hair. Uh, yes. Oh, I was talking about his complexion. A gray complexion? Not so good either, huh? Bad. Well, so much for Papa. Well, my friend sounds like a sick man. Has he given up uh, his hobby? Oh, no, no. He, he's sick in bed, but he keeps up his hobby right in his bedroom. But, well, that's, that's amazing. Why? Well, his hobby is raising goats. <laughs> well, so much for Papa. Well, uh, another thing I would like to know about him. Oh, Mr. Boy, I hate to change the subject. Why don't you change it? Oh, I understand. I understand. It troubles you to speak of poor Dumont. Well, it certainly does. Let's speak of me and the play I'm going to begin. Oh, so my little Mary has gone on the stage. Oh, yes. And I'd love you to be my leading man, uh, would you? <laughs> oh, well. please do it for me. You play the hero, Oklahoma Tex. <laughs> Oklahoma Tex. Yes. Oh, say you'll do it. Well, how can I refuse? After all, it's a small way in which to repay my debt to Pierre. Who? Uh, your papa. Oh, him. Well, if you'll come over to 202 Cannon Drive this afternoon, we'll rehearse our part. All right, I'll be there, Marie. Oh, oh, and by the way, at my house, you'd better call me Gracie. Uh, my husband always does. Your husband? Oh, you're married. Yes. So don't mention how I used to sit on your lap. <laughs> it's silly. 
You're pretty romantic looking. <laughs> but why does your husband call you Grace instead of Marie? Well, he can't speak French. <laughs> but, uh, George is a wonderful man. Oh, I'm sure he is. Oh, by the way, uh, did you keep your promise to your father? My promise? Oh, Oh, of course I kept it. Of course. Of course. What was it? <laughs> well, you promised to marry a man in the same business as your father. Oh, that promise. Sure, I kept it. I wouldn't disappoint the pot. <laughs> well, well. So my little Mary is married to a wine merchant. Uh, wine merchant? Oh, yes. I can't believe it. Oh, it's hard for me, too. <laughs> what is his name again? George. George Burns. George Burns, the wine merchant. Well, I'll be running along. See you at my house this afternoon. Uh, it will be good to taste real wine again. Oh, won't it, though? How do you like your wine? Straight over seven up. I can't get joke with me. Alors, au revoir, ma petite. Je me réjouis de vous revoir cet après-midi. Oh, how true. <laughs> and that's the first portion of the Burns and Allen Show. Stick around. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Sarah Knight Adamson. I'm the national film critic for the website sarahsbackstagepass.com. I'm a member of the Broadcast Film Critics Association in L.A. and a voting member of the Critics' Choice Film Awards. Coming up next, you'll hear a film review of a movie that's playing near you. A Quiet Place, rated R. It's a dystopian horror film. John Krasinski, known for the TV show The Office, plays Dad Lee Abbott. He's also the co-writer and director with Emily Blunt, his real-life wife. She plays his wife here, Evelyn. Their two preteen children in the film, Noah Jupe and Melissa Simmons, live in the year 2020. Oh, and they're in a small town in New York. They all know if you speak, mm, you die. Let's take a listen. Here is a tightly edited, terrifying sci-fi horror film. Be prepared for 95 minutes of suspense-building, nerve-wracking drama as a family attempts to survive in a dystopian world where making a sound means certain death. The characters do use sign language as their main form of communication. Here's another clip. Who are we if we can't protect them? We have to protect them. The bottom line, I'm way in. Three and a half stars out of four. In full disclosure, I'm not a big-time horror fan, although I do appreciate suspense when it's done well. And if that's what you're looking for, along with a few good jump-out-of-your-seat moments, then this movie fits the bill. I would, however, strongly advise against seeing the film if you're expecting a baby. <laughs> There are some moments surrounding the birth and afterwards that are totally hair-raising. Check out my written review of A Quiet Place on sarahsbackstagepass.com. See you next week. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Next time, it's the conclusion to the Burns and Allen show. Then we'll tune into a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.